If you haven't started making a list of the kings, it's a good idea because it's going to get confusing. We're going to add to this list tonight some. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings. We're going to finish up chapter 15 and cover 16. The last two weeks we've been working with or talking about or discussing, uh, reading about the king, couple of kings of, of Judah, and now we're going to shift our attention up to Israel. Uh, just by way of reminder, uh, you think, isn't it all Israel? No, it, the nation Israel has split into two parts. The, the northern ten tribes are, are, are under the name of Israel. The southern two tribes are under the name Judah. And last two weeks we've been down in Judah, so now we're going to move back up to Israel. This is not exactly chronological. You'll hear us mention it tonight. And, you know, the way that they kind of classify things in the kings is they'll, they'll tell us who the king is in Judah and who the king is in Israel. So you can kind of get an idea who's ruling in what section at what time. So we're actually going to cover uh, six kings in Israel tonight. It goes uh, somewhat rather quickly. There's some good stuff in here. Um, and then we're going to get through 16. And then in next week in chapter 17, we'll begin with Elijah. Uh, so... Uh, let's pick up in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 25, if you'll follow along with me. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, the king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. Remember, Nadab is the son of Jeroboam. We just read Jeroboam was right after the split, after, after Solomon. Jeroboam was the first king over Israel after the split, and now we're watching his son take the throne. And it is kind of unusual that he only reigns for two years. It's a rather short reign, but it's not the shortest reign we'll see tonight. Uh, so what we read in verse 26 uh, is rather tragic. It says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. So this is our first king, Nadab, here that we're going to cover tonight, Jeroboam's son. It's very tragic. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Each one is going to get progressively worse from here. It makes it very clear he walked in the way of his father. And I think it's important to note that he points out he made Israel sin. You know, God doesn't like it when somebody leads his people into sin. Uh, you know, in, in they're even, it's not just himself he's leading into sin. He's leading the nation into sin, and it's going to get progressively worse. But I, before we go any further, because we're going to read this repetitively, what was it that Jeroboam did wrong? What was, what was the mistakes that we, he made? And I want you to turn back with me to chapter 14. I want to kind of cover it again, just so we understand as we cover this tonight, that we're clear on exactly what Jeroboam did, because we're going to see king after king after king after king tonight that is going to walk in the ways of Jeroboam. So if you remember, when we studied Jeroboam, his son got sick, and he sent his wife to the prophet. He said, I want you to go see the prophet Ahijah, and uh, you, at, you pretend, dress up so he doesn't know who you are. Remember, Ahijah couldn't see, but Jer Jeroboam tells his wife, get dressed up so he doesn't know who you are, and I want you to go find out what the fate is of our son what's the future and his wife comes in to see Ahijah and she hear, he hears her coming the Lord had told the prophet Ahijah back in chapter 14 uh, verses 4 and 5 that that he that he that his wife was coming that Jeroboam's wife was coming and the Lord was going to give them a message so we're going to pick up in 14 verse 6 and read a little bit so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came to the door he said come in wife of Jeroboam so much for the disguise why do you pretend to be another person? For I have, seen, I have been sent to you with bad news. So here's the word that Jeroboam is going to tell her uh, to take back to, he's going to tell Mrs. Jeroboam to take back to Jeroboam. Ahijah is the one giving this word to her. And look at verse 7. 
Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you rule over my people, Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandment and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. That brings us to Jeroboam's first mistake. It was he was not, Jeroboam wasn't doing what was right in the eyes of God. David was always doing what was right in the eyes of God. When he sinned, he repented and he got right with God. Jeroboam made the mistake of he wasn't even concerned with what was right, what was right before God. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. And that, that's the first thing, the first of four that we're going to see here. So that's the first mistake Jeroboam made. He wasn't doing what was right in the eyes of God. In verse 9, it says, But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. The number two thing that Jeroboam was doing, he was doing, he was living an evil life. It says he's done more evil than all the people, all the kings before him. His life was, it was evil. It wasn't upright before God. Number three thing is he made other gods. Remember he built the two golden calves? Remember, he was afraid that people were going to go back to Jerusalem and they were going to worship. So he built, you know, he built the two golden calves for them to worship. And he set them up. He said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. He took care of that. The number four thing is he says, you cast me behind your back. And we covered those uh, previously. So what we have taking place is the sins of Jeroboam. He's not doing what's right in the eyes of God. He's living an evil life. He's made other gods, made molten images. He's worshiping things besides God. And he's casting literally God behind his back. Remember we talked about that's like taking a piece of trash and throwing it over your shoulder. That's the way that he was treating the Lord. And the Lord had given him a promise, remember? The Lord told Jeroboam, if you, if you walk in my ways and you, and you uphold my word, then your, your, your legacy, your family will remain in in. in, in in the, in, as kings in rule over, over Israel and 10 northern tribes. But if you don't, I'm going to cut you off. And so we're going to watch what happens. So those are the mistakes that Jeroboam was making. Go back to chapter 15. It says, he's do, again, here's Jeroboam's son. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father. We just read what they were, those four things I pointed out to you. And in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, again, it's, it's more tragic when he's leading other people into sin. Verse 27, then Baasha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Ishkar, conspired against him, that's conspired against Jerob, uh, uh, Nadab, and Baasha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all the Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. So there was a battle going on. Israel was attacking Gibbethon, and then in the midst of it, uh, Baasha kills Nadab. He kills Nadab. Baasha killed him at verse 28 in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So Baasha kills, uh, kills Nadab. And what we see coming to the end there is Jeroboam's family reign. That's the end of his, that's the end of his dynasty. It only made it to his son. And what we're going to see as we continue to travel through the nation of Israel over, the, over approximately 250 years, there's going to be nine different families that take the throne in the ten northern tribes of Israel, while David's family will remain on the throne down in Judah. He'll be the only one. Uh, so we see that happening here. And uh, let's keep reading in verse 29. So, and, and it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He didn't leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite because of the sins of Jeroboam which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin because of his provocation 
because he was provoking, with which he said, which, which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, leading his people into sin. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and, and all he did are, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Backing up just briefly to verse 29, it's a fulfilled prophecy. That's what God said would happen to Jeroboam. If you don't follow my ways, I'm going to cut off your family from ruling in Israel. And we see that taking place. So we have, you know, one evil king killing another evil king. You know, this, this is exactly, exactly what God said was going to take place. And I always like to point that out because we constantly see that throughout Scripture where God will say, hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And then here it shows us it's exactly what takes place. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that it's taking place. So uh, Nadab had a short reign in Israel. He only reigned about two years. And then here comes Baasha is, is king over in Israel. And we'll pick up in verse 33 as we move through here. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, became king over Israel in Terzah, and he reigned 24 years. A little bit longer reign here. Look at verse 34. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of Jeroboam in his sins by which he made Israel sin. I think we have a pattern starting here. He's doing the same thing again. What's he doing? The same four things. He's not doing what's right in God's eyes. He's living an evil life. He's made other gods. He's worshiping the other gods before him. And he's casting God behind his back. God is not important to him. He's just important in doing things his way. He's going to do it his way and the way that he wants to do it. Go moving into chapter 16. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, uh, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Here's a prophecy. Verse 2, inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Baasha, and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha and what he did in his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Baasha rested with his fathers, was buried in Terzah, then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. So what we see taking place is there's a prophecy, comes to Jehu, it's about Baasha, and what does he basically say? The same thing that happened happened before it's going to happen to you as well the same thing that happened to to to, Jerob, to, to Nadab it's going, going to happen to you you know it brings us to an interesting point here do you think that God had told uh, uh, Jeroboam that if he didn't follow the the Lord that his family was going to be cut off from ruling and reigning in Israel right we, we know that's clear and we just read here in verse 29 of chapter 15 how that prophecy was fulfilled and in a sense God used uh, Baasha to fulfill that prophecy so do you think Baasha could make the argument before the Lord well I'm just doing what God called me to do I mean after all you just God you know I'm just you, you know you must have raised me up so that I could defeat uh, Nadab and, 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 and defeat Rehob, uh, uh, Jeroboam's family because that's just what you called me to do well, then if that were the case, then Judas could make the same argument, right? Well, I just, somebody had to send Jesus to the cross. Somebody had to deceive him. It might as well be me. I was just being obedient to what, what God called me to do. And, you know, there, there's sometimes in, in people will begin to make that argument, and, and that's not a good argument. 
It's not a good argument at all because what we see taking place is God is going to use people based on their choices. But the evil, even Baasha's heart to kill Nadab, no different than the evil in, 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 in uh, um, Judas's heart was against the Lord. It, it's, God will use them to accomplish his purpose in what he does. But it wasn't that God made him that way. He chose to be that way. And God said, fine, since you're going to be that way, I'm going to use you to accomplish my purpose. But he would have no standing before God someday saying, Lord, I just did what you, you know, you, you said that this man was going to be cursed. The family was going to be cut off. I was just the guy that did your will. No standing whatsoever. The Lord would say, you evil and wicked man, get out of my sight. You, you may have, I may have used you to accomplish my will, but your evil heart is what accomplished my will in you because I knew of the heart that you had. So be careful if you ever begin to go down that road and say, wait a minute, he's just being obedient to God. Not at all. God has a way of using people in his sovereignty to accomplish what his will is, whether they're willing or not willing to, use, to, to be used by him. And we certainly don't ever want to make the claim or the excuse, well, he was just doing God's will. His heart was evil. His heart was wicked. He had no interest in God. We read very clearly he wasn't following the things of God, nor had he ever intended to follow the things of God. So he would have no standing before a holy God to say, well, I was just doing what you, somebody had to do it, Lord, so I was just the one doing it. I think the Lord would say, you evil and wicked man, get out of my life. Get, get, out of my, get, out, get out of my face. Out of my courts. Get out wherever it is. Get out. You know, it's not going to be that way. So be careful if you begin to make that, make that assumption. Verse 7, and also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house, because all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord in provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. Again, it's exactly what the Lord said would take place. Verse 8, Elah. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel. So Baasha dies, his son becomes king, and he reigned for two years in Terza, another short reign. Now his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terza. So what we see taking place is King Elah is drinking. He's getting drunk. He's in his steward's house. He's having a party. Zimri, his servant, in verse 10, it says, Zimri went in, struck him, and killed him in the 27th year of Asa. That's who's ruling down in Judah, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Another family now is cut off from the throne of Israel. We had Jeroboam and Nadab. We had Baasha and Elah. Now we have Zimri uh, coming onto the throne here by killing uh, Elah while he's drinking and while he's drunk. Verse 11, it came to pass when he began to reign as soon as he was seated on the throne that he killed all the household of Baasha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus, thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu. Again, prophecy that the Lord had spoke over him through Jehu is becoming fulfilled here. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Do you notice it keeps saying by which they made Israel sin? By which he, but these are leaders of nations that are leading people into sin. They're, this is why which you're, you're take, you can almost see where, where God cares deeply for his people. You're taking my people in the wrong direction. He's not real happy about it. And it's gonna, we're going to keep seeing that theme. 
Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did are they not written in the books of the Chronicles, the kings of Israel. So we're moving through these kings here, here rather quickly. And again, it seems to be a free-for-all. And you say, well, isn't it kind of violent that they always kill everybody's family? That was pretty common back in that day. And why would they do such a thing? Because they don't want somebody from the previous king's family standing up and saying, I have a right to the throne. They don't want them raising up into power. So they just figured we're going to wipe everybody out. That way there's nobody to say they have a right to the throne. Doesn't that make all the more beautiful what David did? How David protected Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And he, he, he fed him at his table. And uh, he, he protected him. And he, and he, and he, di- he didn't do that with, uh, with Saul's family. Uh, how, 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 much, how beautiful it makes that. All right. Now let's look at verse 15 in Zimri of chapter 16. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terzah, Seven days. Short timer, huh? Only made it seven days. And the people were encamped against the Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it. They said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. They already had a king, but they didn't like Zimri, so they make Omri king. Zimri was on the throne for seven days. Then Omri and all the Israel with him went up from Gibbethon and they besieged Terzah. And it happened when Zimri was, saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and he burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and he died. Because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. What was he doing? In, in walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he had committed to make Israel sin. Again, same thing, make Israel sin there. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now, this is one of the few places in the Bible where we see someone takes their own life. He went into the king's house, he set a fire, and he took his own life there. It's suicide that we see taking place. We see a few others, Samson, Saul, possibly, some, you know, depending on the account, maybe Saul took his own life, maybe he had a little help because he couldn't finish the job. Ahithophel in 2 Samuel took his own life. And uh, it, it brings us, I, I want to just talk briefly about uh, somebody, suicide or somebody that takes their own life. Uh, where, where do we fall as Christians with it? What do we believe takes place in that? Uh, you know, when, when someone comes to the, that point, uh, they've given in to the lies and the deception of the enemy. You know, I without a doubt believe that suicide is a sin in somebody's life. It is, it's, it's killing. Thou shalt not kill. You're just killing yourself. It's taking of someone's life. But often as a pastor, I get asked the question, what happens if somebody takes their own life? Can they still, can they still go to heaven? Can they, can they still get into the kingdom of God? Or is it, the, is it a sin that's going to preclude them from going to heaven? And that, that's often a, a question I get asked. And even in a group like this, there's probably f- people in here that have had somebody take their own life close to you or family or friends or something like that. And I want to answer it this way. Salvation is based on faith alone, right? Salvation is based on my belief in Jesus Christ. Do we attach works to that faith? Or is it, is, it, is it really faith alone? Is it, is, it, is it faith alone or is it faith alone and a few good works? Well, I believe it's faith alone. I believe Paul makes it very clear. I think when we, when we go to the book of James and we see faith without works is dead, it's, faith beca- it's works because of his faith, not the works aren't producing the faith, the works aren't producing the salvation, the salvation produces the work in somebody's life. Now let me follow it up this way. 
if someone were to walk with the Lord for, let's say, 15 or 20 years, and uh, in their previous life, they had a drinking problem, and they hadn't had a drink of alcohol in 15 or 20 years, and some things happen in life, and well, they, they, they fall back a little bit, and they stop off at the local Sheets store, and they pick up a, a can you, I don't even know if you can get alcohol at Sheets. Can you get alcohol at Sheets? I don't know if you can. You can get beer at Sheets? I don't know. Doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't know where to get it. Doesn't matter. I don't drink. It works good in the story. They stop off at the local Sheets store, and they have themselves a drink. They start heading home, and they hit a tree. They've been, maybe they have a few drinks, and they're, they're intoxicated. They're driving while they're intoxicated. What happens to them? And they're a believer. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they've been, spent the last 20 years in church. They've been serving the Lord faithfully. They're, they're following the Lord. And all of a sudden, yeah, they, they, they had a bad moment. They blew it. What takes place in their life? Are, are they, can, can, we, can we say they're going to heaven or is that it? They're, they're done. You say, I don't know. I want to hear your opinion on it. Well, here, here's, here's what I believe that takes place. Salvation is by faith alone. It's not faith alone. It doesn't say in the scripture that you have to believe on Jesus Christ and not be committing a sin at the moment of your death. What if you're in the middle of telling a whopper of a lie and Jesus returns? Do you get left behind? I don't think you do. You see, it's salvation is based on, on faith alone. It's not ba- if, if you get left behind, if you say that the person that committed suicide or you say that the, the guy that slipped up and had a drink, if you say that they're left, that's it, they're condemned to hell forever then all of a sudden you've added works to their salvation. You've said they have to believe on Jesus Christ but not be sinning at the very moment of their death. Well, none of us know when that is, do we? We don't know. It may, or even, even you apply to Christ's return. What takes place at the very return of Christ? What if you're in the middle of speeding down the road? You're, you're driving down the road speeding. Well, that, don't worry about that car wreck. And no, that guy's not going anywhere because he's, he's breaking the law. He's speeding. You see, I don't believe it's that way. So here's my opinion on it when it comes to suicide, because it's a little bit, you know, we can joke about speeding and and talk about DUIs and drunk and and all of those things, but I think when it comes to suicide, it hits home a little bit more. I believe that that person, the question of whether or not they're saved or not is not based on what they did at the end of their life. It's based on what they believed before they got there. It's based on what they believed. Did they really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And you might say, well, someone with a relationship with Jesus Christ would never do that. Well, we still sin, don't we? There's, there, there, are, there are mental things, there are mental problems that get involved in those kinds of things. Now, I would say this. I wouldn't want to be the one to test that theory. I wouldn't say to you, if you're saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm considering taking my own life, I'm going to give that a shot. I would say, no, that's my opinion. That's what I believe. You know, because I believe salvation is faith alone. Don't go test it. Because here's what I do know. It's not God's plan for you in any circumstance. It would be never God's plan for someone to take their own life. And I wrote down a quote here from G. Campbell Morgan that I liked. He said, suicide is always the ultimate action of cowardice. In the case of some and others, it's a, it could be natural, but let it never be glorified as heroic. In, in the case of Saul and others, it could be considered natural, but never let it be glorified as heroic. It is the last resort of the man who dares not stand up to life. It's the last resort of the person who's, who's saying, I'm not willing to stand and live even though God has called me to live. 
You know, so I hope I cleared up a few things there with you. It's my opinion that someone who commits suicide, suicide doesn't preclude someone. The only blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the un, only unpardonable sin the scripture tells us about. But I also say I would tread very carefully on that. That is my opinion. And I base that opinion based on salvation is by faith alone and not by works. And we can't start attaching works on it at the end of our life. So the question becomes, does someone who commits suicide go to heaven? It depends on what they, whether they were saved or not. Not whether they prayed a prayer, whether they had really given their life to Christ, and it depends on those circumstances leading up to it. Hope that answers some, any, some questions for you on that. All right, next king comes into place. Omri is uh, verse 21. Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibnia, the son of Gibnath, and made him king, and half followed Omri. So we have a bit of a civil uh, war going on here. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginath. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginath. So Tibni died and Omri reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and he reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terza, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shamar for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and he called the name of the city which he built Samaria. Samaria, after the name of Shamar, owner of the hill. Verse 25, uh, Omri moved, prior, let me, before I get to verse 25, Omri moved the capital city there to Samaria of, of Israel. Verse 25, how'd you do as a king, Omri? Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and his sin, which he had made Israel sin provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their, with their idols, with their vanities, it means, with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and, and the might that he showed, are, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. So he moves the capital city, his reign, we realize, is evil just like all the others, and we do see it getting progressively worse. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, some commentators point out that, that Omri, if you were to look at his spiritual reign, it would be a failure. We read that very clearly here. But if you were look, to look at his political reign, he would be a success. Uh, politically, uh, meaning he was able to conquer uh, much of the land. He was able to conquer Moab. The Assyrians reported him as a great warrior. At one point, uh, Israel was known by the Assyrians as the House of Omri. So politically, as a king, he accomplished a lot. Spiritually, he was a complete and utter failure in it. We read that, that very clearly here. And then he obviously dies, and his son Ahab is going to pick up in his place. So let's look at Ahab. And it's going to get good from here. We're not going to cover it all tonight. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Asa still ruling down in the south, remember, uh, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. He beat seven days. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It's getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as a wife Jezebel. Pay attention to that name. We're going to see that again later. The daughter of Ethbal, 
Ethbal means with Baal or with Baal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal or Baal, and he worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Ahab took wooden images. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jer... Oh, we'll get to that one in a second. So here we have Ahab. He takes the throne. He reigns uh, over Israel for 22 years. Uh, he's the son of Omri. And again, like the rest, he does evil in the sight of the Lord. He's, he's, it's just getting worse and worse. And isn't that the way sin goes, though? You, know, you can it, it, sin will always get progressively worse it'll, it'll just continue to build upon itself and and why is that because your flesh which is the one seeking sin the thing seeking sin can never be satisfied once you get what you think will satisfy you you're going to want more you're going to want more and that's exactly what's taking place he's joining himself to jezebel it's it's a blasphemy that he's doing this she was a you know a, well I don't, I don't want to talk too much about her tonight we're going to talk about her in in the coming in the coming weeks and, uh, and we'll see more about her. She's obviously the daughter of Ethbaal. Uh, he's, he's worshiping Baal. He moves out, moves, you know, at least when, remember when Jeroboam started, and he built the golden calves. What did he say? This is the God who brought you out of Israel. And we talked about how there was worshiping false gods and there was falsely worshiping the true God. He's so far beyond this. We're just worshiping Baal. We're building temples. We're making sacrifices. Notice what it says. He's serving in verse, uh, in verse 31. Uh, he went and served Baal. And he worshiped him. To serve means to toil, to work for, or to accomplish. So his life is based around serving Baal. Serving Baal. He's not only serving him. Worship means to bow down to, to pay homage to, to sacrifice to. He, he, he's, literally, his life is now consumed by worshiping Baal. This is the leader of Israel. What does the name Israel mean? Governed by God. Oh, how far they've come. Oh, how far, we, we've just covered six kings in really rapid fire succession. And all six kings, we saw them get progressively worse and progressively worse and progressively worse and progressively worse. And we said, just that's what sin does in somebody. It'll do the exact same thing in your life. If you continue to entertain a sin in your life, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's week after week, month after month, it's, it, will, it will continue to grow and grow and grow. It'll be progressively worse in your life. I want to just repeat back to where we kind of started from. What were the sins of Jeroboam? What were the things that caused all this? How did, how did they get so far away? Because oftentimes we look and go, well, they're just being stupid. I can't believe they would do something so dumb. What is it that Jeroboam did? Remember, the first thing he did, he didn't do what was right in the eyes of God. He didn't do what was right in the eyes of God. You say, well, that's, he, he's just a fool for doing that. But let me ask us that same question. Do we do what's right in the eyes of God? Is our life, does our life line up with the word of God? Or do we make exceptions for things that we don't like? Because it's the same principle. Do we, do we really, do we, do we say that I want, does, does my life reflect, I want to live and do and act and say and be what's right in the eyes of God? Or am I going to make a little bit of compromise here and there? And I'll make an excuse for it. I'll, culture's okay. My neighbors are doing it. My friend, everybody does it. You know, see, that's what doing what's right in the eyes of God means. Doing What did David do? He always did what was right in the eyes of God. And we need to be the same way. If, if we're not doing that, we're slipping down the same path. 
It's very easy to look at a kingdom and go, look how far off they got. But it's also very easy to watch somebody's life do the exact same thing by making the exact same compromises. By simply saying, I'm not going to do what's right in the eyes of God in this situation. And pretty soon it's not doing it in this situation. Then I'm not going to, and I'm going to give in here and it's going to be there. And I'm going to slip a little farther and a little farther. What was his other problem? He was living a life of evil. He had done more evil than the kings before him. They were getting success, successively worse. Do you think we live in a world where there's evil abounding? I think we do. Do we, think, do we let it in the church? Do we let it in our lives? Or do we, do we cleanse evil from our lives? Do we, do we really? Is there, is, there, is there a thing inside of you that says when you look at something, that's evil. I don't want to watch that on TV. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. You see, what they were doing is they were compromising. They didn't, again, I've, I've said it, they didn't just set out and go, we're, gonna, we're leaving God one day. We're just, we're, that's it, we're, we're packing up. It was just one little compromise after another. They began to let evil in their life, began to watch movies that were bringing in. Now, they didn't have movies, but whatever situation it was, it's the way it works in our life. How much evil do you let into your life? How much do you tolerate? I, I, I can deal with this much. And I, I'm okay with this much. Listen, get rid of it, get out of it. This is, this is where the compromise began. What was the other thing? They made other gods. Now, they made golden calves. And we go, ah, oh, that's dumb. I'd never worship a golden calf. But do we live in a culture where they're worshiping other gods? Sure we are. Absolutely we are. Some for, and it's different for all of us. And I think the greatest god that our culture worships today is yourself. It's all about you. Have it your way. It, you, you get to decide. If it feels good, do it. it. You have your way. You believe what you want. I'll believe what I, it becomes all. We end up worshiping ourselves. Worshiping the creature rather than the creator. It becomes all about us. These are, these are, the, these are the mistakes that he made. They, they built golden calves and we can look, that's dumb, we would never. No, one, no one's leaving this building and bowing down to a golden calf. But will you leave this building and bow down to something else? If you're not careful, you might. If you're not honest with yourself, you might. If you're not careful, you might let a relationship be the thing that you're bowing down to. If you're not careful, you might let a car or a job or a career be the thing that you're bowing down to. If you're not careful, you might be letting you know, a success, money, be the thing that you're bowing down to. If you're not careful, it might be all kinds of things that will sneak up into your life that you don't even realize you're bowing down to it. Well, Rob, how do I know if I'm bowing down to something? I've said it a million times. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? And where are you giving your talents to? Are you giving them to the Lord or are you giving them to something or somebody or something else that's pulling you away from the Lord? You see, oftentimes in Christian, we want to balance. You know, well, a little evil's okay. Don't do this. No, no, let, let's get rid of all of it. Let's see the danger in playing with a little bit of evil. Let's see the danger in having, you know, let there be no other God before us. My prayers, Lord, if there, I'm putting something in front of you in my life, I want it gone. Not that we can't enjoy things. God's put us here. We're in the world. Not that we can't enjoy things in the world. But let it not be a God in, in front of you. you know, let, let, and, and that should be our heart. What was the last thing that they did? The fourth thing. They cast God behind. Jeroboam, what's it say? You cast, me behind my, you cast me behind your back. What's that? We talked about that. Throwing God over your shoulder. No, do we live in a culture that's doing that? Are they throwing God over their shoulder like a piece of trash? They don't even care. They throw his name around in a curse word. They, it means nothing to them. They, the Bible means nothing to them. All of four of these things, while we look at and go, yeah, that's what got them there. Do we see it happening in our society, in our culture? Absolutely. Do we see it happening in your life? If you do, it's time to do something about it. Because just like it'll destroy a culture, and we could sit and probably talk about America and everything else, and I don't want to do that tonight. I think it's more important we talk about ourselves. 
Because just like it'll destroy a culture, we're watching it in Israel, it'll destroy your life, the same exact things. You're not lining up with what God's word says. Allowing evil into your life, living an evil life. Uh, having some other gods, you know? God, God's not, he, he's not the only thing. I, I worship God, I worship, but, but I also worship a few other things. Let there be no other gods in your life. Let there be nothing that is consuming you. Let there be nothing that's taking you away from Jehovah God. Let, there be, let nothing be there. And casting you behind your back, that's kind of the last place. Just, God doesn't really matter. God's word doesn't mean a thing. God's, God's people, they start talking bad about them. So they just, it, I'm just, I don't want anything to do with God. You, you, you hear that. And as I listen and I read those four things, I look at these, these rulers, and, and each one got worse and worse and worse and worse. Your life will follow the same pattern. My life would follow the same pattern if I allow it to happen. But the wonderful thing is we don't have to allow it to happen. We run across scriptures like this and we see all this. We piece it together. You know, you've followed in the sins of Jeroboam. You've led my people astray. You've followed, you've led, you've followed, you've led. Lord, if we are ever leading anybody astray, would you please rebuke us for that? It's one thing if you want to go sin yourself, but don't take your wife with you or your husband with you, or your kids with you, or your family with you, or your coworkers with you, or if your friends with you. Don't, don't, don't take God's people with you especially. Don't take the church with you. you know, don't, don't do that. And as we come through this, and I want to kind of close with this thought, these four things that Jeroboam was doing, when we look at him specifically in his life, we do, we say, that's just silly. It makes no sense. But when I put him into our culture, when I say, are you doing what's right? Is your life lining up with the Bible? All of a sudden it hits home. Is there evil in your life? Are you allowing more evil in your life than your parents did? Are you, what, what are we, can, you, can you see how our culture is progressing evil? Do you, do you realize the shows on TV today wouldn't have been on 20 years ago? 30 years ago? It's just getting worse and worse and worse. We keep tolerating it. We keep going, ah, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's okay. Do we have other things that are creeping in from time to time that we're going to spend? No, we haven't given up God yet. Neither did Jeroboam. He called the calves God. He was worshiping God, just worshiping him wrongly. I'm still worshiping God. I still go to church, but is there other things that are creeping in that are buying? Now, I know it's none of you guys here because you're here on Thursday night. You know, all the people that aren't here, we're talking about them tonight. <laughs> but, and it brings you to a place where you ultimately just throw God over your shoulder and go, ah, might as well just go worship Baal. I'm just, you know, why even pretend anymore? Why even pretend? That, that's where Ahab's at. Why even pretend we're, 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 we might be called governed by God, but why even bother pretending? I'm just going, that, that's hypocrisy. Let's just go worship Baal. I'm going to marry this woman for, probably for political reasons. I'm going to go worship her, and, uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. Well, God's not going to leave his people there. So uh, we'll, we'll close there for tonight, and next week we'll pick up in chapter 17 as we come into Elijah and Elisha in the, in the coming chapters. Some incredible areas of scripture as we uh, begin coming through or coming near the end of 1 Kings. As always, before we close our service tonight, oh, we're closing a little early, that's good. I didn't want to draw out these six kings because it's just rather bad news. But I do want to take a moment and give us a chance to go before the Lord. You know, I believe that every time we gather here and every time we open up God's word, I believe that God wants to speak to us. 
And I believe that it's very important that rather than just close this book, sing a song, and leave, we take a few minutes and, uh, and just seek his heart. You know, if there's something, I, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me after the service and said, hey, this thing that you said really struck a chord with me. And I would hate to not give you the time to spend a little bit, a few minutes with the Lord on that. And, you know, a lot of times I say stuff that I don't even remember saying. It's just kind of the Lord brings it out. Uh, so I want to just close like we always do with a few minutes of prayer go before the Lord if you're off in any of those areas if you've been letting evil into your life if there's something you think you're worshiping you know if you've tossed God over your shoulder if if you're just not lining up with the word of God and you've been having some sort of justification or rationalization in your mind I I think God's speaking to you tonight and say he's he's shooting a warning shot across the bow and says listen this is this is dangerous it needs to be dealt with God is slow to anger but we see that he does not like it when his people are led astray. So let's just go before the Lord quietly for a few minutes in prayer and, uh, and see what the Lord would have you say tonight.